1985, a machine that has been retrospectively crowned the first true multimedia computer was launched by Commodore, the Amiga 1000. And from that, a range of affordable home computers and professional workstations alike would spawn. But something strange would happen to Commodore in the process. While their 8-bit Commodore 64 machine took the US and the world by storm, the Amiga was far more successful in Europe, Scandinavia and even Australia than it was in the States, which makes me wonder, what was life like as an Amiga fan across the pond? Today, we've captured some rare creatures indeed, American Amiga fans, and we're going to hear how their Amiga journey contrasts to us over here in the UK. And of course, representing the UK in the middle of our screen, there is Ravi Abbott and myself. We'll begin our introductions with two gents from a YouTube channel, which I absolutely love. It's the Amigos Retro Gaming Chaps. Why don't you introduce yourselves, please? Hi, I'm John, otherwise known as Boat of Car. I'm Aaron. Thanks for having us, Neil. Thanks for coming on, guys. And also in the corners of our screens, we've got the Guru Meditation, starting with Bill. Why don't you introduce yourself and your channel, Bill? Uh, I'm Bill, also known as Amiga Bill. And Anthony and I have a YouTube channel called The Guru Meditation. And I also stream over on Twitch as Amiga Bill. Excellent. And in the other corner is Anthony, the other half of that duo. Hello, Anthony. Thank you for joining us. Hey. And Ravi, hello, hello, Anthony. And Ravi, where can we find you? Uh, the RetroHour.com every week. Of course, if you're listening to me, no doubt you know the Retro Hour podcast. So uh, let's start with our Amiga origin stories. Then we'll go around the screen, starting with Bill. Uh, where did it all start for you, Bill? Well, it all started out for me in White Plains, New York, in a computer store called Software Link. White Plains is a suburban city just outside of New York City, but it's a city to itself. And there was a store there called Software Link. It was a Commodore store. And my dad and I walked in and to look at the 64, look at different Commodore computers. And, you know, there was the Amiga 500. I'd always heard about the Amiga 1000. It was, it was kind of legendary. I used to look at the back of the video game boxes to see all the screenshots. And, of course, the Amiga 1000 screenshot always looked the best. I always wanted one, but it was always a bit out of our, our price range. But when the 500 came out in 1987, we, we went over to Software Link, and we saw the 500, and we were just blown away by it. And it was affordable, and my dad said, you know, this machine's amazing. We're going to go for it. So I was super lucky. My dad bought me the 500 for 1987. And the store, it was a really cool place because not only was it a Commodore store, but it was also a hub for the Commodore community in our area. So there was a user group there called... Westchester Amiga user group and I ended up joining the club I ended up running the club for for many years still run it now and that's where I met my partner in crime Anthony Anthony well that's a seamless link over to you Anthony then where did it start for you uh, I ignored the Amiga for as long as possible I was a I was a 64 owner I got a 128 uh, I went to college um, in 1986 and I brought with me a Commodore plus four which I had on my desk, I typed up papers on. And uh, while I was in college, I had a friend who had a 64 also. And while I was in college, he got an Amiga 1000. And I bumped into him at a computer store in White Plains. Not Software Link, though. This was uh, Computer Depot and ANS. And uh, he told me, oh, you got to come to my house. I got this new computer. It's so awesome. And I think that weekend I drove down and, uh, and I saw the 1000. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. And he's like, oh, there's an AMI Expo coming up. You should come with me. And I went down there and I'm like, you know, the kid in the candy shop. And I'm like, I want one. He's like, oh, well, you got to wait. You got to wait because there's new machines coming out. They're going to be better than this. I'm like, but I like the 1000. I want the 1000. I ended up 
actually from the same store uh, Bill did getting a 500 in 87. I still have the receipt. Um, and, uh, and it took off from there because you had the users group that met in that store. And it's where I met Bill. And sure, sure. The whole, so you uh, were both quite early adopters. Insanity then. started rolling. Yeah, back in 87, you were quite early adopters. Not to the 1,000 because that had been out for a couple of years, but early 500 adopters. Um, let's shoot down to the Amigos. How did it start for you guys? Well, I, you know, I had a... Uh, I had a Tandy. I was a Tandy boy, uh, the uh, Coco car computer when I was a kid. And uh, but I knew a guy who was bootlegging Atari 8-bit software in middle school. And I was friends with him. And as we went on to high school, he started a band, the Saints of Misery. I remember the name of the band. And I used to go to his house. He used to live with his, uh, his older brother. And they were really into music and electronica and stuff like that. And uh, we... I kept seeing the Amiga back there and he had just loads of software and he did all kinds of musical stuff with it. And I, it was on my radar, you know, uh, but I thought, well, I saw what it did. It crushed the PC I was using at the time, but I was like, well, you know, it's, it, you downplay it because you don't want your thing to look like crap. Uh, but uh, a few years later, uh, a buddy of mine approached me. He's like, listen, um, I need some laundry money. Um, I need some cash. I'm looking to sell something. Uh, and I know you are into computers. I've got this Amiga 1000 here. And I was like, I remember, I was like, the Amiga, man, this was a pretty cool computer. This is about 88. I had some bucks. So I ended up buying one, and uh, the rest is history. I, I've had some sort of Amiga ever since. I've sold and bought many, many Amigas over the years, but every one of them have been secondhand. I've never bought anything out of a, out of a store except software because there were only a couple of stores here for a few years, and they were gone. And then eventually, the Boaster here, uh, I introduced him to the Amiga. He was a super late adapter. You, I showed you the Amiga about 2013, something like sure. that. And so, oh, okay. and, and the rest of that is history. So Boat, Boat was a believer like that. So Boat, what, what machine were you using back in sort of 87, 88 then? Well, you got to remember that in, in 1987, I was six years old. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was legitimately too young, really, to enjoy the Amiga uh, in its heyday. Oh, I don't want to say that. I, I was using an Atari 8-bit uh, all the way up until the early 90s. Uh, that was my, my family's um, computer of choice. But I was of the generation that sort of came of age with the rise of, of consoles. And unless you were really in a group where there were other people that were into computers, like none of my friends at school had computers. Uh, they might've had a PC that they used to do schoolwork or something. But as far as gaming goes, it was, it was all consoles all the time. So I didn't even realize the existence of the platforms like the, uh, the Amiga until I was really in high school and I got more into the retro collecting scene and I never saw or used an Amiga in real life until about 2013. Sure. Okay. So just checking around again, Bill, were you an Amiga 500, weren't you? Anthony was a 500. Um, uh, yeah. I was a 500, yeah, 500 as well. in 1987. Yeah, I was a 500. I was a bit later. I was about 88, 89, I think I got my 500. Uh, but Ravi, you were playing with the big boys, weren't you? You weren't using these childish wedge-shaped Amigas back in the day? Well, it was, um, my dad worked in the creative industry. So basically, um, they'd use Amiga to do creative things. And my parents really didn't like me playing games on computers. They said, if you have a computer, you must be creative. 
So I ended up getting into that, programming, playing on it, and uh, going to the Amiga shows in London. But this was very late. I'd say this was 92, 93 in the Amiga's life. So it was kind of dying, but there was still a scene. But uh, I, I kind of wanted it to continue, but it just dropped off. But I've, I kept going, kept the faith. Yeah. So is your experience uh, typical in the US, guys, of, of a 500? Was that the more popular system, the Amiga 500, or were the big box Amigas a bit more popular over there? Well, 500 was certainly popular if you were, you know, I mean, I scraped up the money myself from uh, money my parents were giving me to buy food at college. I was scraping up to buy a 500. <laughs> but I I actually got off the 500 reasonably quick because um, before graduation, uh, they had a, a student discount on the 2000. So I moved up to the 2000 and then I sold my 500 to get an accelerator. So, But yeah, I mean, the 500 was, was definitely uh, pretty popular. The 500 was extremely popular, best-selling Amiga of all time. But here in the States, you know, things were a little bit different because we had something called the Video Toaster that came out a bit later. And the Video Toaster is kind of a legendary piece of equipment for the Amiga, and it only works in the big box Amigas, like the 2000 and the 4000. And the thing with the Toaster is, like, when you mention Amiga to people today, they don't really quite remember Amiga, but they say, Amiga? Oh, you mean, like, the Video Toaster? And it's like, yeah, the Video Toaster. That's kind of what it's known for today. So... The 500 was extremely popular, but then Amigas like the 2000 and the 4000 were really popular in the professional world because TV stations would have a 2000 and 4000 with a toaster in it, public access. You never know where you're going to find a toaster in some sort of TV station. So I would say the 2000 and 4000, the big box ones were popular because of the toaster. Yeah. And I think the toaster, Ravi, you've got some experience with the toaster, haven't you? I think it's a NTSC region only device, isn't it? Yeah, so it's yep. never available in PAL. Um, there was a way of using a time-based corrector which would not have it at broadcast quality. So kind of what people wanted. I think the Americans got the toaster dream. I actually saw in the basement of Palace Productions in Norwalk, Connecticut, when... Uh... When we were, I was working for a TV channel. We were doing our editing out of there. Um, there was a there was a video toaster four thousand box up on top of one of their shelves. So you never knew where you'd find them. But yeah, if you is... had if you had a wedge Amiga, you 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 loved your Amiga, but you you looked at those big boxes with envy all the time. And being that a lot of public access channels use the the video toaster. There'd be plenty of times when you're surfing through the channels at home and all of a sudden you'd see a guru meditation up and it was awesome <laughs> because their their toaster crashed. It was it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, see, we wouldn't have had that because we were just restricted to about four channels then. We didn't have public access TV, did we, Ravi? We didn't have satellite no, TV. No, and uh, I think a lot of the stuff we use, Scala. Scala seemed to be really popular in Europe for displaying on signs, train stations. So you might get a guru if you go to a European train station and see some of the timetables. <laughs> well yeah in the u.s also the amiga was used for the preview channel that gave yeah. you the scrolling guide so you'd sometimes see it on that too until pretty recently too i mean in the last 10 years those were still in use in several uh, tv stations with the preview channel so that's where you'd see it most of all and occasionally it would crash yeah so the big thing over here with the uh, amiga 500 was the bundles the batman pack the cartoon classics pack all of these things. Did you have those over there? Was that a big thing? To be honest, I have no idea if we did. I just, I bought a 500. There was no such thing as a bundle. 
Yeah, I, when yeah. I, the stores I went to, I never saw any. My friends had 500, a couple of my buddies, and they just came straight up in the box. There was no extra stuff at all. So I don't think I ever saw any bundles anywhere in the States. That much said, I, I had a, I bought a bunch of Amiga stuff a couple of years ago, and it came with a, a bundle box that was all chewed up. So I guess they had some release, but, uh, you know, I never saw any. Yeah, because that was it. Same year. I never saw the bundles. Yeah, yeah, the bundles were a big thing over here, weren't they, Ravi? Yeah, um, David Pleasance kind of implemented them in Commodore, so maybe later on they sent him to America. <laughs> and that's why we might have had the bundles later. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think he mentions that in his book, that he was brought over to the States to help out with sales here, and he brought the bundles over. But by then, I think... You know, there were very few stores here that, that carried them that I'd even see them in a store. So, yeah, I wouldn't have known where to get one. But I already had my machine, so it didn't matter to me. So you mentioned stores there. What was it like then in a typical U.S. computer store at around about that time when the 500 was out? Was the 500 at the front of the store in the window? Were they really pushing it or was it sort of tucked away in the back of the store somewhere? Or was it even in the store? <laughs> well, I think you had different types of stores. Yeah. The store I went to and I frequented it with Anthony it was called Software Link and it was a Commodore only store. Okay. So the 500 was front and center right there in the window. It was, it was pretty incredible. And you could see the 64, unfortunately, eventually getting you know pushed to the back. But it was a Commodore only store. Then we also had uh, other stores that were like IBM specific. So obviously when we went in there, they had you know PC Juniors on display <laughs> and whatnot. But I never really went in there much. <laughs> so there were a lot of stores that were computer brand specific. And then there were general stores that carried a variety of computers and they uh they were i didn't frequent those as much because i was really the commodore guy but um yeah so it depended like what type of store you went into but here obviously amiga was not as popular as the other computers it wasn't as popular as you know pc or mac because everyone had macs in the school and everyone had pcs at work so amiga was was definitely you know more underground it was on the fringe it was for all those crazy artist types yeah i i can't well, remember you- any system specific stores i'm sure there must have been some in the uk ravi but you know we had high street stores which had such a mixture of machines at the end of the 80s you had the tail end of the zx spectrums the amstrads the the beige box pcs uh the atari st and the amiga um and the amiga in its heyday was pushed pretty hard in those stores it was always on yeah the front. i think there was uh so many machines that there was kind of a fight for space mm. on the shelves because there was all these different british computers but um amiga did have a big presence uh, to the point that you'd have like amiga uh pc and some consoles but um that was mainly when Cygnosis did like beautiful box stuff they'd be all out on probably be 30 of those and yeah i do know anthony and i have a mutual friend who worked at a computer store that was a general computer store, and he was pressured to push the Apple II GS over the Amiga. He got a lot of pressure to do that. Well, that so was I'm where not I, sure. that, that was where I met him again. And yeah, they had the the 1000 and the 2GS at the front of the store next to each other. But yeah, he he complains a lot about that. Yeah, what what did he say that they said, <laughs> Bill? That uh, they, the, the owner of the store? Yeah, I don't remember exactly. No, he had... They pressured him a lot to push the GS, and he he received like incentives if he sold the GF the GS over over the Amiga. So they they pushed really hard for for the Apple computer, not not the Amiga, unfortunately. But he was a huge Amiga fan. He he hated the GS. 
<laughs> we also had the uh, Escom stores in the UK, and when they bought Amiga, um, all the Amiga guys went into there and just threw a shelf, you know, at the back. They weren't uh, prominent at all. We had we had a one local store here in the valley, amazingly, in the middle of West Virginia, that sold nothing but Amigas. It didn't last long. Uh, they <laughs> I think they started up about. Uh, that's where we all all my friends bought Amigas. Uh, but in fact, before I did. Uh, I mean, I, I, when I say all, I mean two or three of my friends. And and this place is where the only place we knew about. Then we ended up finding another place uh, in, in Charleston, West Virginia, about uh, 30 minutes from here that had some Amiga stuff. But I mean, I'm talking the shelf life of Amiga. I see more Amiga stuff at the Hillbilly Flea Market today than I did back <laughs> back in when it was out. Just stuff that's, that's just someone's dug up out of a basement because uh, it was super duper limited. Uh, it was hard to find anything here. Like I didn't know, I didn't know there were other models of Amiga for a long time. I didn't know anything about the European scene. Or it was big in Europe. We didn't know nothing. There was no internet. You're <laughs> you're out in the sticks. So we just saw it. It looked cool. We bought whatever they had in the store, and that was pretty much all we knew about it. Yeah, we were so disconnected back then. If you weren't part of a user group, and we'll come on to Bill's user group soon, um, if you didn't have friends that had Amigas you just didn't know really what was possible or you you know it was a very slow process figuring it out without friends to show you um back in the day i never saw an amiga with a hard drive that's only a more recent thing that i've got to play with you know i had my two disk drives i went as far as having an a570 cd drive at one point because it was in in the bargain bin so i got it when it was cheap um but yeah never saw a hard drive and it blew my mind when i saw one around it must have been 2003 2004 when i actually saw a hard drive on an amiga um but in terms of getting your news getting your amiga news keeping up to date with things uh, i think the big magazine for me over here was amiga format did that travel over to there did you did you get that or did you have your own publications over there <laughs> We had our own. Uh, we had uh, create um, amazing. Was it? I can never AC. Yeah, amazing computing and uh, Amiga World were the two big ones when I first got into it. It was later on when when the U.S. publications died off. When we started eagerly buying your expensive European <laughs> magazines that don't fit right on the shelf because they're kind of a little bit too tall. <laughs> Those were the best magazines, though. Amiga World, I was I never liked because I was a game guy. You know, I wanted nothing but games. And so Amiga Format and uh, Amiga Power, I'd see those. If you got on the newsstand, I guess does newsstand still exist, even? I don't know if it exists anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go down to the, go down <laughs> to the mall to the, the bookstore. Yeah, uh, but I used to go down and they'd have the discs on them. And then I, I, it was so awesome because that stuff, like, I don't know any computer magazines. Do you remember any American magazines that came with discs at the time? I mean, no, I, I no, the cover disc was, was a, I think, a European awesome. phenomenon mostly. I mean, I love those. And I take them home. Now, of course, we get to play everything with the screen slid down. It didn't matter. It was still getting up because we, if it wasn't for the European magazines, that's where I first found out that there was a ton of stuff out for the Amiga that I'd never heard of. And so, that made it a lot more fun. But the American magazines for Amiga, I didn't like them. I've never heard of those American magazines that you mentioned, but um, I'm surprised to hear that cover discs weren't a thing because that was the whole reason that I bought a magazine most of the time. I'd buy two or <laughs> yeah, three I, magazines I remember when I first started getting Retro Gamer in like 2003 or 2004, uh, I was like, man, this thing comes with a cover disc because if you remember Retro Gamer before it got sold to its current publisher in the first couple of years, it was with a different publisher and they actually put a cover disc on the front of it. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I get like a piece of software with this <laughs> yeah. magazine? That's so sweet. That and then awesome. I realized later on that that's a throwback to like every European gaming magazine. Yeah, I mean, there was the great sort of cover tape wars back in the ZX Spectrum days where they'd put two, I think they may have even put once put three cassette tapes on the front of a magazine to try and out. <laughs> oh my God. That's, <laughs> that's <awesome>. crazy. <laughs> even before that, they had um, vinyl disc that they would print like Mojo magazine or, or Viz comedy vinyl which like on wavy floppy vinyl quite cool yeah yeah so through these magazines or through any other way um we'll come over to you bill were you aware of the amiga scene outside of the u.s did you did you know anything about that i was definitely aware of the amiga scene outside the u.s but it was limited like i knew it existed and I knew you guys did like all these crazy demo scene stuff, but I didn't really understand back then, which I absolutely love now. But it was, there was a big disconnect. And most of the, the online things I do at my Amiga were more local to the US. I would dial into like local BBSs and I would use a service called like PeopleLink and another one called CompuServe. But I ran into mostly Americans on those places. So I wasn't very connected to the European scene at all. I would just learn about it also by the Cracktros. Okay. A lot of the Cracktros, you know, came from, from Europe and that's that was my small connection to the Amiga scene in Europe. But I had no idea like what it was it was like over there. It was definitely much more regional. I didn't even really know what it was like in California. You know, I knew what the scene was like here in New York. Mm -hmm. But it was more much more localized back then. And was um was piracy as big a thing over in the US with the Amiga software? Did you did you have boxes <laughs> and boxes of pirated discs? Oh yeah, yeah. Piracy was was big here. <laughs> we used to use Marauder and Xcopy, and you know it was like trading baseball cards. I would had some friends in the neighborhood, and we're like, "Oh, I'll, I'll trade you this game for that game," and we got to break the copper protection on this one. So yeah, it was it was a big deal. We didn't do it as much uh, in the user group because we met at a computer store, so it would be you know pretty disrespectful to to be pirating games in the computer store. And that's actually one of the reasons why some of the folks left you know before I took over the club because. There was a little bit of like piracy going on in the basement, and it was it wasn't wasn't cool to do that in someone's store, you know. Yeah, I think Ravi, I think you were you had a store that you used to go to that um, didn't care quite yeah. so much about piracy, did they? Uh, they promoted. It. <laughs> um, this was kind of when the legitimate suppliers of Amigas disappeared. The pirates took over. A lot of them had small, dodgy, independent shops, but um, I'd say we wouldn't use X copians because quite a lot of the stuff we get would be crack before. So it'd be who can get the one with the best crack on it. Um, but yeah, they, they used to distribute it every, everywhere. Up to the time of the PlayStation, um, they were still doing Pirate Amiga games absolutely everywhere. Even some of the late the title was uh, pretty ridiculous. I think I had like one piece of original software. <laughs> You, you had to pirate. I mean, oh, you didn't have to. That's not fair. But you almost had to pirate software in the U.S. because it was so unbelievably difficult to obtain legal software. Unless you mailed for it, you'd have to you know, mail overseas for it. I mean, I never saw hardly anything locally except for those two stores. And when they were gone, you were, you were boned. So we would, we would get together with uh, each other and, and have a little copy session. I remember one time, I don't know if they have Captain D's in the uk but that's a seafood restaurant we would we would take over like the whole setting area and just bring computers and stuff in we would know what they got we've done we've been in the in a library we've been at you know various people's basements so 
it was a thing. It wasn't always just Amiga. Usually we would sort of piggyback on the PC people and kind of get, get in there that way. But yeah, almost, you know, most of the stuff I had was pirated because I just couldn't find anything else. That's why the demo discs were so great. I mean, you could legally get them and there was stuff you'd never seen before. One, one thing I do remember is kind of people collecting software. So, um, there'd be a race to see who's got the best version of 3D Studio Max or who's got the best version of this. And no one would use it. It would just be for bragging rights. Like I've got version 5.8, you know? Yeah, I have a whole thing of, of discs back here. And most every draw of that are copies of things. And we would do the same thing. But we, we lucked out, I, Bill and I, we had two dedicated Commodore stores in White Plains. We had uh, Software Etc., which was uh, part of B. Dalton, um, a, a bookstore that sold. And that was like all they sold was software. And they had a, a, an Amiga section. Before that, they had had a Commodore 64 section. So up until things started falling off, you had places you could buy. So, I mean, I bought stuff back then, but you were, you know, you were a student. Mm-hmm. You didn't have much money, so a lot of stuff I got was was also copied. I tried to buy what I really liked. I bought Turbo Silver. I bought Distant Suns. I bought some of the games I really, really loved. But you know, the rest of it was uh, lots of blank discs at a friend's basement. And, um, and again, it's like how much of the stuff you know you copied, but you never it's it's it it went in the drawer. You know, oh, a new version of Page Setter, not that I. <laughs> desktop publisher anything so into the droid goes <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good way to try out the games or the software before you bought it as well yeah yeah because they're expensive yeah. you know it's, it's it's hard to throw down that much money on something that you're not even sure if you're gonna like or use right a lot of crackers were put underneath um please purchase software if you well, well also back then it's like you pretty much once you bought a piece of software a game say you brought it home, you opened the box, you tried it out. If it stank, you you couldn't uh, you couldn't bring it back. So that was it. You were stuck with it, you know, whatever money you laid out. So yeah, you tried to be a little careful. But something we did share a lot though, and at the user group meetings was public domain software. That was that was a big part of the of the user group meetings. We used to share Fred Fish discs, we used to make our own compilations of public domain software and public domain games. We used to have a disc of the month, and every member would come, and you know they get a floppy disk with some greatest stuff that we all found and collected on the internet and collected from the Fredfish collection. So that was that was a legal way to to share Amiga software. I remember they had like the they also said you know this is shareware. If you like it, please send you know five dollars to so and so, and it would give you like a physical address where you would actually like mail a check in with your envelope. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that that was American based, right, Fredfish? Fred was American based. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Piracy aside, I'm going to go around all of you very quickly. And I just want to know uh, a memory of one piece of software that you legitimately bought that uh, was important to you, game or otherwise. We'll start with Bill. Bill. And, and where did you buy it from as well? There were quite a few pieces of software that we bought legitimately back then. The first one that comes to mind is Imagine. It was a 3D modeling and rendering program. And I just, I love 3D. It was, it was really, really fantastic to be able to, to make three-dimensional objects on the screen. And it, it came with a really beautiful manual as well. Can I say more than just one? Because there's like go three on, that go, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. I like, I like <laughs> the, so imagine the 3D modeling rendering program had a physical copy of that. I had physical copy of Deluxe Paint 3 and 4. Deluxe Paint was absolute essential 
program on the Amiga. And I also had a beautiful box copy of Art Department Professional Ad Pro 2.0. Those were three, three of the key pieces of software for me. And Scala, box copy of Scala. And I still have all those boxes and they're all beautiful boxes. Scala, I believe, used to have a dongle for it so that you had to buy it physically. Um, but the other three, D Paint, Ad Pro, and Imagine, I still I still have my my boxes and bought them all legitimately. I subscribed for the the upgrades. You know, whenever the updates came out, I would get the the updated version of it as well. Those three pieces of software what made the music for me because I was a creative type and that allowed me to make pictures and animations and make titles for all the videos I was creating back then. So that was those were like the key the key applications for yeah. me on the Amiga. Well, Bill set a very high bar there and a very high budget. They couldn't have been cheap products to buy. I mean, Deluxe Paint may have been packings, perhaps, but um, yeah, those are some expensive products. My only experience of Imagine was, again, going back to those cover discs. I think we've got a demo or maybe an old version mm-hmm. on Amiga format. Uh, never truly understood how to use it properly. Um, let's go across to Anthony. Anthony, what's your choice? <laughs> Well, since Bill did three, I'm doing three also because I will not be beat. <laughs> um, and it's also because when I got the 2000, which was really when I started actually having some money that I could put into this, um, I picked up three pieces of software. One, the funny part is the manual is is right 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 around there. It's Turbo Silver. It's the program that predated Imagine by that same company. And it was the program that I saw at AMI Expo when I went that first time with my friend and they drew a circle on the screen and they said person in the audience who drew it and they said, well, you know, that's not a circle, that's a sphere. And they showed this ray tracing thing. And I was like, whoa, I got to get an Amiga. So I got that. I got Vista Pro. And I got Distant Suns. And the Distant Suns is an astronomy program. You can actually still get it. I have it on my Android tablet. Um, and Distant Suns, I have a, has a special place in my heart because I got my educational discount 2000, came with a bridge board, came with a 1084 monitor. And the moment I got it, my friend said, oh, too bad you don't have the 1084S. That monitor does PAL. You could play the european games and it won't be cut off it'll be so awesome because the 2000 auto switches and all this and i loaded up distant suns and i had it render a whole bunch of objects deep sky objects and i was still zoomed out it had nothing to do with what ended up happening but just happened to be at that moment there was a loud bang the picture jumped and the 1084 went dead like a week (laughs) after i got it so uh, I, I always credit Distant Sons with making me able to take that monitor back to the store and say, hey, look, can I get a 1084S instead to replace it? And I'll pay the extra difference in price. And I, can, I walked home with a beautiful 1084S monitor and I was that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Vista Pro, I remember. Um, I remember setting up scenes on my A five hundred, so it took ages. It wasn't accelerated in any way. I'd set them up in the morning, go to school, and come back, and hopefully have ten frames of animation if I was lucky, <laughs> and just set them looping. But it, you know, it was mind blowing seeing that stuff at the time. Um, amigos, let's go over to you guys. Well, I'm going to sound like super dumb guy compared to those answers because my, my thing, I'm games, man. I, I, I never did utilities hardly at all. Although Distant Suns, I didn't mess with. It was really cool. Uh, I was obsessed with Laserdisc games uh, when I was a kid. When Dragon Slayer came out when I was, I think it was like 84 or something like 83. 
And I had told myself that whatever could get this to my house, I would buy. And it was a very instrumental reason in me purchasing that Amiga 1000 for my buddy because I knew that there was a, a, a passable version of Dragon Slayer on it. And one of the first things I bought at the local store was Dragon Slayer and Escape from Census Castle and Space Ace, all the Lacious games. And I know they're not perfect on the Amiga, and I know they are, uh, have you know, been surpassed since then. But, I mean, at the time, it blew my mind that you could play these games at home. And so those, um, I'm a sucker for animation, laser disc stuff, and those three games I bought right away. Those are those are some of my most treasured items. Ironically, I lost Dragon Slayer. Uh, I don't know where it went. I think I lent it out. Never make that mistake. And so I just recently rebought it. So <laughs> I'm back in action. But those those are the ones that come to my mind that I bought. And there weren't a ton that I bought, but I wanted them because they had the awesome. Uh, uh, Don Bluth art on them. So that was a motivating reason when I bought the actual copies of them. Yeah, fantastic art, fantastic Don Bluth art. And also a lot of the, um, a lot of samples made it in there from the arcade as well. Good, good sound effects. I bought Dragon's Lair at the same time that I bought the 512K Trapdoor RAM expansion. So that was the first game I bought that, that used it. And uh, you opened the game and it kind of folded out and folded out again into 12 discs, I think it was. So many floppy discs. <laughs> yes. Great game. Uh, Ravi, oh, yeah. Ravi, did you buy any legitimate games? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I actually got really into word processing. That was a thing like later on on the Amiga that it was hard to kind of get a decent word processor. So, um, oh, what was it called? Wordworth 7. Yeah. Was it? And it was an absolute beautiful um, piece of kind of word processing software. You could also use rich text format in there. But then there was a, a program called CrossDOS, which um, meant that you could put DOS disks into the Amiga. They'd be formatted to a smaller size, but you could actually read the DOS file system on the Amiga. And that was so useful if you were doing SMS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got my uh, art department professional manual right here. And, you know, and as you can see, it's a, it's a three-ring it's a three ring binder. Love and this was this was a deterrent to to not pirate because you know games. I mean, you really don't need the manual for most games, right? But in order to use AdPro or Deluxe Paint, you really you needed the manual. Otherwise, you would have no idea what you were doing. So that was that was a huge incentive, you know, to to not get it a pirated copy because you, you would get a pirated copy, but then you wouldn't know how to use it. Yeah. And I love how it even comes with like the you know the holder for the floppies. I got a little glare on it there, but those are the the discs came in the manual, like literally came in the manual. So yeah, this one stays on my shelf and it's near and dear to my heart. The other one that breaks my heart that I don't have it anymore is the Shadow of the Beast physical edition of Shadow of the Beast because that came with floppy disk. It came with a beautiful box art. I know like Boat would love it. And um, and the Devil Bunny there uh, by Roger Dean. He did the artwork for the Psygnosis games. And most importantly, it came with a Shadow of the Beast t-shirt, which I think yeah. is one of the most coveted collector's items these days. Yeah. And, the important I, thing is, Bill, could you fit into the T-shirt? <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> well, back then I could. <laughs> not, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, Walker. I, Walker's know. my favorite Cygnosis game over Shadow of the Beast. Though. There That's... you go. You heard him. Wow. <laughs> but the uh, the Shadow of the Beast T-shirt, yeah, I, I feel like it's still in my parents' house somewhere, and then you know, someday. I'll come You'll across it again. It It'll be worth even more by then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the, the great big manual to deter uh, piracy. I think, again, 
a title that really stands out for me and like uh devil bunny down there like aaron i was a big amiga uh, a, a big games player rather than applications so um it was ultima six for me because it came with the cloth map it came with the feelies it came yeah. with all the books of law and you just couldn't replicate that with piracy so um that was the real standout title for me <clears throat> although i could never play it with music because i didn't have a hard disc so if you had the music on every time the track changed you had to swap discs <laughs> so i turned the music off so i didn't have to swap discs quite so much um okay let's let's talk about then as we come towards the end of our amiga journeys uh even though they haven't technically ended but back in the day when <laughs> to say there's no end. there is no end there is no end but when they were no longer our daily drivers i guess um when did you first start to realize that that commodore and amiga were going downhill uh, we'll start again with bill Oh, I remember <laughs> I started to realize Commodore and Amiga were going downhill when we had discussions at our user group as far as like, should we introduce like PC into our meetings as well? Or should we just stay all Amiga? Because not as much was happening in the Amiga scene and a lot of people were starting to make switch and we're like, no, we're a good group of friends, but some of us are losing interest in the Amiga. So should we introduce some PC? And there was some like really hardcore debates about it. Some people were like, no way, like no PC in this club ever. Other people like, I really come here just to socialize with my friends, and I'd love to see some of the new PC stuff coming out. So that was, <laughs> that was uh, you know, uh, I'll never forget those decisions and, and battles. And, I, that, you know, when, that, when those conversations started happening, you know, you kind of knew that the writing was on the wall for, for Amiga, unfortunately. And, you know, when games like, uh, like Descent and Ryza Triad and, uh, and Full Throttle were coming out on the PC... And even I think Syndicate, Syndicate, the version of Syndicate on the PC has some really cool cutscenes on the CD, the CD version that were amazed all versions that that, that kind of like overshadowed the Amiga version. It was like, oh man, like it's uh, the end is near. <laughs> and Anthony, I guess as part of the same user group, you had the, a similar experience, did you? It, well, I I experienced it earlier because again, that that friend of mine who got me into Amiga, who I got into the sixty four, he ended up actually working as a regional product demonstrator for Commodore. So he, while not working out of their offices, had a bigger connection with Commodore. And he would, you know, he was saying like, hey, you know, things things aren't going very well there. Uh, you know, it's not looking good. So I kind of knew ahead of time. But, you know, you always kind of wished, you know, you, you kind of thought it's a big company. You know, even if it goes bankrupt, you know, someone's going to buy it. This is just too big for someone to not do anything with. What you didn't know was that, you know, there were other things in motion. So even after, so Commodore goes under and you're kind of still meeting, you're kind of still going to the user group. There's still software coming out. There's still magazines. There's magazines coming over from Europe. So you're kind of like, all right, this, this will get us through till, you know, whatever happens, someone buys it and, you know, this this is just too too big a property just to let go, and then oh hey, Gateway buys them, and then it's like well, okay, nothing's happening, and more nothing's happening, and then Scom, and then Scom goes under, and you're just like, you you feel punch drunk after a little while. You're just like oh, what's going to happen next? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Um, and, and so yeah, it was it was, and then. You know, the issue there with the users group was those, I think those very discussions ended up with some people kind of getting tired of sitting there talking business all the time. They want to sit, again, you want to socialize with your friends, you want to maybe get some information, 
you don't want to sit there and discuss, are we going to discuss something? And, you know, some people end up wandering away. So the users group starts to diminish. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's amazing that it's kept going after, after all that, after kind of the beating, it kind of feels like Rocky, you know, you're beaten, you're up against the ropes. So you're kind of like, no, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna lay down. <laughs> yeah. But it's a different experience now, isn't it? You're doing it for retro and, and nostalgic purposes, but back then you were on the cutting edge you were using this this machine with the latest and greatest games and then it then it dried up so well you were i i used it for a long time i mean i was still using it for email i was still using it for web with a web eyebrows i mean i think i think it was pretty late before i got my first pc finally um and it was it was again it was for all right you know there's no really big new games coming out for the amiga but there's all this new 3d games coming out for the pc with these dedicated graphics cards I, I i have to get a pc finally and i think it was around when the reva tnt came out when i finally got my pc and got into pc gaming but yeah i never i mean there's always been a, an amiga on my desk even next to the pc even then because i still i never gave up i never gave up i'm one of those nutcases <laughs> yeah neil that's a really good point about at one time, the user group was cutting edge and Amigos cutting edge. And you kind of see that evolution. Now we're just a bunch of guys kind of reminiscing about the good old days. And although Amiga is, you know, it's, it's revived, man. Like there was a long time when we'd meet in that, that mall. It's like myself and Anthony and like a total of five of us. And now we've got, <laughs> we've got over 30 active members now. So the Amiga's kind of like a phoenix rising from the ashes. And the Amiga scene is, is looking pretty awesome these days. But yeah, it was it was incredible back in the day. Like we used to come and we're like you would walk into that user group meeting and be like, wow, like what am I gonna get blown away by this month? And we even had the alpha version of the video toaster there demonstrated by someone from New Tech. We came to our club to demo it. And I'll never forget the looks on everyone's faces there when they saw the toaster and Lightwave and doing, you know, real time video switching. It was it was incredible. Our friend Al was an editor at ABC and when he saw it, like he literally like he almost fell out of his chair because he was a professional editor. And he was using systems there that were, you know, $100,000, $125,000. And here comes the toaster, you know, under ten grand, And it's making those really expensive professional systems, you know, look bad. It was, it was pretty wild. It, it's funny. We went from, so yeah, we went from the users group where you were like, what's going to blow me away? And then we went through the time in the users group where it's like, am, am I even going to see anything this month? <laughs> to <laughs> now it's like, well, it's not going to blow me away, but I'm still going to have a good time. And I'm going to see something new, even if it's not going to blow me away, but it's going to be something new. It's going to be cool. Yeah. What crazy accelerator or expansion is going to appear this week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very interesting time. Um, we shoot down to the Amigos, down to Aaron. When did uh, your A500 or A1000 start to gather dust? Well, I, I ended up getting an Amiga 1200 somewhere between uh, high school and or, and into college. And so I had moved to work for IBM in 93. I remember this distinctly because I was using my Amiga for B all my BBSing and all the stuff I did, gaming and everything. And I'd finally gotten like a 20 meg hard drive for it. I was like, man, this is the ultimate machine. And I really, I thought it was the best. But I'd picked up a lot of these European magazines and I saw it was going south. And I had been there when the, when the Coco went south. And I, I remember we, I was like, we got to sell this thing now or it's not going to be worth anything. That was my mentality. And so here comes the same thing happening with the, uh, with the uh, Amiga. 
and it broke my heart. I'll never forget it. But I, I was super poor, you know, and I was like, I got to I got to get as much money as I can out of this thing to buy a PC. And I remember uh, uh, selling this, selling this thing with the hard drive stacked. It was great. And I ended up getting this crazy, lame, you know, PC clone out of computer shop or and having it delivered to the apartment. I was like, man, it's over. <laughs> and this thing was so much lamer. But I mean, of course, the PC ended up building up and getting better, you know, yada, yada. But I was always uh, licking my chops to get back to a proper Amiga with the hard drive. And I will say now, uh, having been around for so long, the good thing about uh, being an Amiga owner in 2019 is you could have like the ultimate Amiga you wanted back in the day. And plus a million percent awesome with all the extra stuff that you could get. So, I mean, I feel like it sort of came full circle, you know, but it was a, it was a sad day when I bought that sucker up, I will say. Yeah, yeah. and Ravi, I mean, I, I think my experience in the UK is probably a little bit more typical than others in that I had the A500, um, the, the 1200 and the 600 appeared, uh, and I just looked at it and thought, it's it's too little, too late coming from Commodore. I'm looking at my friends with PCs now starting to play games like Need for Speed and Flight Simulator and and Ultima 7's come out and it's not coming out on the Amiga. It's only coming out on the PC. So that's when I started to to drift away, probably 92, 93. Um, but you clung on in there, didn't you? Yeah, I kind of clung on in there, but um, we knew it was dying. Mm. Like... Um, when it was around that time, they closed the customer support line in the UK, which was a massive thing. So that was just before the 600 release. And then when they released the 600, it's going crazy. And um, we totally abandoned the platform. Like uh, when the um, CD32 was announced, none of us knew anything about it. I, I was, somebody told me in a cattle mark, burst out <laughs> laughing, going, what CD for a CD Amiga system? What's going on? And uh, I think the final nail in the coffin was when we all saw Magic Carpet running on the Pentiums, mm. and it yeah. was done by Psygnosis. Mm. And that was just right. Our best developers are gone. That was the kind of thing. But I was still running it until 2000, 2001 as my main system. I, I get the feeling that our experiences aren't so different across the pond. Um, I mean, when it came to the demise of the Amiga and of Commodore, we did have this great hope that um, Dave Pleasance was going to get hold of the Amiga. Um, if you've read in his, the chapter in his book, um, he claims that he had access to all of the sort of next-gen technology, didn't he? Uh, and, and we were perhaps going to see the, um, the Ombre chipset and all of these other mystical Amiga things. Um, but sadly, it went to it went to Mediali, didn't it? Instead, uh, yeah. Went, well, went to Escom. Went to Escom, and then eventually ended up with Mediali. So I don't know if in the US you were able to follow the trials of of um, Amiga, possibly going to Dave Pleasance and all of those stories. Did you did you get wind of oh, that, yeah. or was it just oh, yeah, yeah? So you, you were able to follow all of that, yeah. So. Well, I don't think they mentioned Pleasance. It was just Commodore UK, Commodore UK yeah. was looking at one of being one of the potential purchasers. Yeah, yeah, that was the, that's what I heard too. That was the. Were you guys always sold the idea that Germany was bigger than the UK? Because we were always put in competition with each other, Germany versus the UK. That was oh, at least Germany's doing. Uh, you know, it was a very uh, kind of thing. I don't know if that got over to the. 
Europe was like so abstract to us. We really only heard about UK, I guess maybe with the US, you know, UK connection, but most of our magazines came from the UK. I think all of them came from the UK. Yep. We didn't really know anything about the European scene outside of the UK. Yeah, I think the language thing, yeah, you would you knew about Commodore UK, but I even though you know Commodore apparently had a big production facility in Germany, I knew nothing yeah. about any Commodore yeah, yeah. being anywhere else in Europe. Because kind of we focused a bit on later on, the news was all coming out of Germany. So we were kind of starting to shift a bit towards Germany. And now we find out that the UK model was actually more profitable. So it's a bit odd. (laughs) I guess the the only real thing I was expecting to, to hear from this chat was in the UK, we were, I guess we were more mainstream. Uh, in the US, did you feel like you were a bit more um, underground, a bit more sort of elite? Yeah, <laughs> there's some rice smiles there. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, very few people have. I mean, to this day, they don't know anything about the Amiga. They don't. They don't know where it's been here. I had tons of friends that had C64s, but I only knew a couple people that had Amigas. So, and, and all the time that we've been doing the five years we've been doing the show. When somebody asks you, what's your podcast about? And you say the Amiga, have you gotten anything other than a blank stare? Yeah, exactly. They have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. So, yeah. But it makes it feel kind of cool. It's funny because you say, you say Amiga, a personal blank stare at you. But then you say, if you say Commodore, oh, the 64. Everyone right. knows that. Absolutely. Or the Vic 20. You know. Nobody says the Vic No, 20. some people like the Vic. Don't give me a break. <laughs> 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 So you still get to uh, enjoy the pleasure of actually showing people Amigas for the first time and sort of wowing them. I, I did back in the day, and I still do. <laughs> I love firing it up. When you played someone an Amiga back in the in the late '80s and '90s, they were like just like I was when I saw it. Just like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. You know why is this feeling? It just to drive me nuts. How are we losing? We're the best. You know, but they sucked at Mark yeah. here bad. Yeah. And uh, the community, as Bill mentioned, is is now thriving. We've got so much going on. Um, a great group that I love to go to is the Southwest Amiga Group here in the UK. That's down near Bristol. And that's just growing and growing and growing. I think they're going to need a bigger hall soon. It's it's just becoming so popular. Um, tell us about your group, Bill, the Westchester Amiga Group. So how, how many people have you got coming to see you now? And is it is it on the up? Oh, definitely. You know, during the dark ages, like I said, it was like Anthony and I and maybe three other people meeting in a in a shopping mall once a month. And, you know, we kept it going like we still we were still kind of into Amiga, but we were friends. So it was a good excuse to, to get together and hang out. But now with the resurgence of Amiga and, you know, retro becoming popular, we're getting new members like every month. It's pretty it's pretty incredible. So we meet on the first Thursday of every month in a, in a mall. It's kind of like our, our general meeting. And uh, we're getting new people all the time. We have about over over 30 active members now but then we also do the special meetings which are the ones that are much bigger and even more fun like i'll host them at at my house and we'll set up real amigas and we'll we'll have a good old party we'll set up some other machines like some commodore 64s the matari 8-bit stuff and uh and those those meetings are a blast now back in the day we had our general meeting on the first thursday of every month and there was like so much interest in amiga we had what were called special interest groups so the main meeting was at the, the Commodore store on the first Thursday of the month. And then we would have like a graphics and video special interest group that would meet at my house. We had a desktop publishing special interest group that would meet at my buddy's Chris's house. And he also had uh, a music special interest group where that met at Chris's house. And we had a, a programming special interest group that met at Scott's house. So 
had, if you were just had, into like a niche part of Amiga, you had a special group. The, the main ones were like music, graphics, video, and desktop publishing. And then, of course, we'd have our, our games party like we still still do to this day. But it's, it's amazing to see new people coming to the meetings. It's, it's wild. And now with the internet and, you know, YouTube and Twitch, like I'm meeting new people all the time. And being that it's in New York, there's a pretty good chance that there's you're going to find other people who are into into Amiga these days and they might actually be physically close to you and can come to a, an actual meeting. Excellent. And where can they find out more information on your user group? That's a great question. That's <laughs> I do I do a lot of stuff uh, for with the with Amiga, and I, the the user group needs its own website, so that's what I'm going to work okay. on. But uh, they can just con- contact me directly, you know, on any of my social media platforms and my Discord channel. They can hit me up on Twitter. They can hit me up on Facebook. Well, um, thank you, gents. It's been a really interesting conversation today to get a, a U.S. perspective. Um, uh, Amigans are Amigans the world over, I think. We have our minor differences, but um, we're all part of the same family, I think. And I uh, appreciate your time today. We'll just uh, get a, a round robin to remind us where we can find you, uh, starting with the Amigos. Where do we need to go to watch you guys? Uh, you can find us on uh, our YouTube channel, is Amiga, Amigos Retro Gaming, um, or you can subscribe to any of our podcasts. We've got... Amigos Everything Amiga, which is a weekly Amiga podcast. Uh, our Sinclair, which is an American take on the ZX Spectrum. And uh, finally, our newest show, uh, The Coco Show, all about the TRS-80 color computer. Perfect. Notice that he said ZX and not ZX. These guys know what they're I've doing. Learned. These guys know I've what they're doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed. <laughs> and, and Anthony, where should we go to find you and Bill? Uh, well... Obviously, the Guru Meditation. Uh, you can just search YouTube for Guru Meditation. Um, GuruMeditation.org. Uh, that, that's. Uh, I'm. I'm trying to hopefully maybe. I met one guy down here before I moved. I've, I've actually moved out of New York. I'm in Florida now, and the first thing I did was meet someone down here who has Amigas and Commodores who lives right near me. So um, I'm thinking there might be some other hidden secret. Commodore Amiga people down here <laughs> hiding out who want to come out of the woodwork. So we're thinking of starting a walk south down here. Okay, we're gonna see what happens. Gonna put some feelers out. See if we can see if we can flush them out. You know, maybe toss some floppy disks and some house <laughs> cables and, and see if they come out. Um, so as, as I always like to say in our videos, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Guru Meditation. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, Bill professionally is uh, you, you're you're a cameraman is that right or a director of photography a director of photography director slash photography. cinematographer yes um and, and that really comes through in the guru meditations videos they're really really nicely put together videos and then more frequently the the lovely twitch streaming that you do as well so well worth checking all these guys out and ravi of course the retro hour podcast and uh more recently a weekly 8-bit mix using amigas djing yeah. with amigas 8bitmix.com 8bitmix.com so check them all out thank you guys And take care. Bye-bye.